0: Well, good morning again. My name is Marty Cates. I'm the associate pastor here. It's my privilege to open God's Word with you this morning. Before we get going, I just have a, have a question for you. What does your Easter look like? It's this season of, of life, this Easter season. What does your Easter look like? You know, mine is full of lots of pastels, pretty pinks and baby blues, soft yellows, lavender maybe, Dying and and decorating Easter eggs, spring flowers as things begin to green up, hopping from one community egg hunt to the next, hiding the the Reese's Easter eggs where no one else in the family can find them. (laughs) Look for them, girls. They're gone. We, we we turn this, this season, this Easter, into this cute and, and cuddly season, this beautiful season. But this week doesn't begin with the celebration of Easter and the resurrection. It begins with Palm Sunday. We've already had the, the kids up here this morning and their cuteness and waving their palm fronds about and singing. And we're familiar with that part of Palm Sunday been to church during this time, you've probably heard a sermon about worship and about the palms and what they were doing, but there's something else that happens that morning. That Palm Sunday. Yes, there's the procession and they're laying down their cloaks and there's something that comes after that though. We'll look at that this morning. We're going to move past the typical uh, sermon or, or looking at Palm Sunday and look to what happens immediately following uh, those events and before we turn to God's word this morning would you pray with me most gracious heavenly father we come to you this morning and we need you we need you O Holy Spirit uh, to work through your word and to work into our hearts the truths of the gospel and we need you this morning to open our ears and our eyes and our minds that we might see and hear and believe. Lord, let us hear Your warning this morning in this passage. Would You use it to bring Yourself glory? Would You use it to convict us and bring us to the cross that we might repent and throw ourselves on Christ Jesus our Savior in whose name we pray? Amen. So we're in Luke chapter 19. We'll begin right after they have sung and laid down their cloaks in verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Him, Teacher, rebuke Your disciples. And He answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when He drew near and saw the city, He wept over it, saying, Would that you... Even you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you in them and on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is God's Word. It's without error in any part. It's given for our good and for His glory. So what happens? They they, they come, you know, if you're familiar with the story, they they come and they put him on a donkey and they lay down their cloaks and and Luke leaves out the palm fronds and the plants being cut down and he leaves out some of the pageantry of them singing Hosanna and such. But he, he does include that they sing, you know, blessed is the King. But what happens after that is that he What? As he, as he comes down to the Mount of Olives and He begins to see Jerusalem on the horizon, He begins to weep. He begins to weep over this city that He loves. He begins to weep over this people that He loves. He weeps. Our passage this morning, we should hear as a warning to us and as a comfort for those who know Christ. But Jesus weeps. Why does he weep? Well, first he weeps over our foolishness. Then he weeps because of his love. So he weeps over our foolishness. We see this first in verses 39 and 40. So as the, the crowds have, have sung, and, and blessed be the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And they've cried out in Hosanna. They've laid down their cloaks as he's on riding in on this donkey. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they come to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, you got to get him quiet. Jesus, they can't be singing this. Jesus, they can't be doing that. Jesus says to them, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. We we, we know that that the creation groans for for the return of Christ, that the the curse would be thrown off. Paul tells us that, right, in Romans, that the creation groans for the return of Christ. And that could be part of what Jesus is saying here, but He's also referring to a prophecy that Habakkuk makes a a, a prophecy that says that that the stones that that as Jerusalem is is destroyed at some point in the future as God's judgment comes upon it that the very stones will cry out and so Jesus is is reminding them of this prophecy it's a prophecy that he will um, say again to them in just a few verses Josephus, the Roman historian, actually gives us a description of of this event when the temple is destroyed. He he says that it was like as the stones were tumbling down upon one another that they were singing, that they were crying out. That's the depiction that he gives. What Jesus is doing here is, is reminding them, asking them, do you really want your judgment to be quickened? Because when these who who are worshiping me, when these who are calling out, blessed is the King, when they are done, your judgment begins. It begins at the cross and it continues because just a few decades after his life, this prophecy of Habakkuk, this prophecy of Jesus will come true. And the Romans will, will destroy the temple and they will tear it down and there will not be a stone that is left standing upon another stone. So he's asking, do you really want your judgment to come sooner, you fools? He asked that of us this morning. Do we really want to quicken our judgment? You know, we live life in all those places that we ignore His Word, we ignore His commands, are places that we're inviting the quickening of our judgment. It's those places that lead to our destruction and our undoing. And Jesus says, you really want this? Continues in verses 41 and 42, he says, As he draw near to the city, he weeps over it saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. Would you have known the things that make for peace? He weeps over their ignorance. If only you had known the things that make for peace, Jerusalem. They longed for peace. They, they desired peace. These religious leaders that are around, they long for peace. They, they want it to look different than what it's coming as. They don't want the humble king on the donkey that's coming in. They want the mighty ruler. They want the one who's got the military might or the political power to put the structures in place to throw off their Roman oppressors. They don't want the Pax Romana anymore. They want another fancy Latin word. The Begana Romana. They want Rome gone. They want them out of there. They want their city back, their country back, their culture back. They don't want the one whose word is sharper than a double-edged sword. They want the one who wields the double-edged sword in the battlefield. That's not God's plan. They're looking for peace in all the wrong places. You know, there's a great country song. We won't get into it. But we do it. We, we, we look for peace in all kinds of places in our lives. When, when we're overwhelmed, we, we turn to whatever it is that you look for for just that moment of respite. We long for peace. But it's fleeting. Where is it you turn? In your suffering, in your longing for peace, where do you go? How's it working out? The peace that we long for has been made known. The pathway has been made known. It's been made known to them. They've been the beneficiaries of of Jesus' teaching. They've heard the parables. They've sat around Him as He's taught. They've seen the miracles and heard reports of the miracles. They've seen it all, and yet they are blind to this pathway of peace that's been laid out. And it's on account of their blindness. It's on account of their ignorance. It's on account of our blindness and our ignorance that Jesus weeps That he weeps over this city that just doesn't get it. Do you weep this morning? Do you weep for the lost? Do you weep for the blind and for the ignorant? Is your heart so moved that you weep for those who don't know Christ? This blindness, though, isn't specific to Jerusalem. Don't let yourself get all judgy this morning thinking, oh, they missed it, but I didn't. No, 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 no. Don't let yourself get judgy. This is an issue. This blindness, it's an issue with all of humanity. This longing for peace, it's pervasive in all of our hearts, our families, our communities, in every corner of life. This longing for peace, that only finds its answer in the Prince of Peace. That only finds its answer in the king riding on a donkey. That king of kings who's also come as a prophet. A prophet to speak into our ignorance. A prophet to speak to our blindness. Right, Paul writes about this right in Ephesians 4. He writes of our, of our lives, of our situations outside of Jesus. He says we are darkened. We are darkened in our understanding. We're alienated from life of God because of our ignorance. Because of our ignorance. It's due to our hardness of heart. You know, we think of Sin almost inevitably is the things we do or the things we should have done that we didn't do. But sin is a condition before it is an action. Sin is a condition before it is an action. The Bible often describes our condition as as sinners, as, as blindness. It is sin that blinds us. It's sin that blinds us to the fact that we're at war with God. It's sin that blinds us to the fact of how rebellious our hearts are. It's sin that blinds us to our need for peace. With God. And it's sin that blinds us to the provision that's been given in the person and work of Jesus. And so Jesus weeps. He weeps this morning. Do you weep over the blind spots in your own heart? The places that you're still wrestling with God, thinking you can have control? He does. He weeps this morning. The Bible is clear that this darkness is not a result of the absence of evidence. Right? That the, the Bible declares that the heavens themselves declare the glory of God. No, our darkness is in us, just like the darkness of Israel. We are blind. We're blind that we suppress the truth. We're blind that, that we repress the impact it has on our hearts on our actions, on our lives. And as a result, we don't know God. No one here this morning hasn't longed for peace at some point this past week. There's not anyone here that at some point this week hasn't said in some way or another, if I could only have a little peace. There's not anyone here who's, whose anxiety throughout this week hasn't, hasn't cried out for peace longing for for just some glimpse that the future is going to be okay so we can be at peace with our current predicament our current situations not anyone here that hasn't cried out i just need a little peace and quiet meredith and i say that often we got a three-year-old if you didn't see after the palm frond thing she got up on the front row here and like pranced down it and did like a pirouette or something off the end that that's her she's loud Just want a little peace and quiet. And and, and it's not just us here at church. It's everywhere. I mean, Seinfeld put it so eloquently when it said serenity now, right? Serenity now. It was his way of dealing with all of the mess of life. He just would scream serenity now and it was supposed to help bring peace. But we want peace. We want peace from the, 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 the things on the outside that are happening around us. Right, we, we turn on the news and we hear of the, 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 the imminent collapse of the banking system, the demise of the dollar. You know, there's places that we've looked for peace and our and our financial security and now they're being threatened by runaway inflation, by China and Brazil deciding not to use the dollar for their trades of oil any longer. We turn on the news and then there's another shooting there's three little kids that are dead three teachers we just want peace we just long for it it's not just outside though it's inside it's the battle raging in us it's the battle uh, between our shame and our guilt and our conscience it's a battle that continually whispers into us that we're not good enough it's a battle that continually tells us that that we're not lovable that we're failures the battle with the things that we've done the things that we've said the people we've hurt the lies that we've told we just want peace we want to escape and so we turn to whatever it is that we look for peace and we try to numb ourselves a little bit longer just to get through the day get through the week get through the month the bible says we can have peace the bible says that, that, that peace is first found in knowing peace with god And in knowing peace with God, we discover the peace of God. And the peace of God is a peace that that surpasses all understanding. And the peace of God has been granted in the person and in the work of Jesus. And the one who weeps this morning over our foolishness. He keeps going in in, in verse 44. He says, you did not know the time of your visitation. Now, we, we don't use this kind of language a lot anymore, right? Nobody says, well, you didn't know the time of your visitation, did you? Uh, this isn't like they missed an appointment. It's they missed the fact that God had been with them and that God had, had shown them and revealed himself to them throughout their history as a people. From, from the, the, the faith of their fathers and Abraham and Isaac, from, from, from Moses and the burning bush and the deliverance from Egypt, from the prophets, they've, they've been shown signs and wonders throughout their history. And now the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God Himself is, is with them and they miss it. And they miss it. We miss it. We sit under the preaching of His Word. We sit in, in Sunday school. We sit in, in Bible studies. We listen to podcasts. And we miss it. We, we, we sit in a room full of miracles this morning. Maybe not the signs and wonders of the Old Testament or, or of, of the New Testament in the early church, but something just as great, just as grand, right? And when, when Jesus uh, has uh, the paralytic lowered through the roof and he says your sins are forgiven and he can tell the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees in their, their, in their hearts are questioning how can this man say who has the authority to say he has his forgiving sins and he says to them, what's easier to say? Is it easier for me to say I forgive his sins or is it easier for me to tell him to stand up and to walk? And he tells the man to stand up and take his mat and walk and the man takes his mat and goes home. And Jesus does it to show that he has the authority to forgive sins. That's the greater thing in that that story. This morning we sit in a room full of people whose sins have been forgiven. We sit in a room with with people who have been moved from death to life and life eternal. We have no excuse. And so he weeps. He weeps. He weeps. Because of our foolishness, because of our ignorance, because we're blind. And he says, Had you known, words of regret. We we, we say it, Had I known, right? First person. Had I only known that, I wouldn't have done blank. Or had I known that was going to be the outcome, I would have done it differently, or I wouldn't have done it at all. So he gives this warning. He says, Had you known? We can live with the regrets of life. I wish I would have done this differently. I, I, I wish I would have taken that job or this job. I wish I would have you know, made an offer on that house we didn't make an offer on. I wish we would have put our house on the market instead of taking an offer before we put it on the market. Whatever it might be. But the, the regret that he speaks of here is a regret that we can't ignore because it's the words of eternal Regret. Because these things have now been hidden from their eyes as their hearts have been hardened. And he says, had you only known, but now it is too late. So he weeps. He weeps over their foolishness. And he weeps because of his love for them. Weeping, sobbing, crying over things reveals our hearts, reveals our our passions. Remember, as a child... My father was like, you know, like every little boy, he was my hero. And for a long time, I'd never seen him have, you know, I'd seen him be happy. I'd seen him laugh. I'd seen him be angry. I'd never seen him sad. He had hidden that part of his heart from me. I'd never seen my dad cry. And I remember the day I saw it for the first time. The phone rang. We didn't have cell phones then, kids. It was on the wall in the kitchen. He went and picked it up. And before he was done with the phone call, he was crying. And my dad has an ugly cry face. Let me tell—I mean, ugly, ugly cry face. And he hung the phone up, and he went to his bedroom, and he buried his face in the comforter of his bed, and he wept like I'd never seen someone weep before. And it was over a man that, that meant a lot to him—a man named Tick Osmore. That name didn't mean anything to y'all, but it meant a lot to my dad. Tick had been like a second father to him in many ways had cared for him and loved him, and he wept because of Tick's passing. He had died. The things that we, we, we weep over reveal our hearts. We say in our house a lot, you know, to, to a particular child, let's not cry over spilt milk, you know, because she cries about everything, whines about everything. And so we, we, we try to teach, I try to teach our daughters that there's, there's reasons that we do cry. You cry because of pain, real pain, like if you fall and like, break an arm, totally fine to cry. If you fall and skin your knee, get over it, you know. But then the second thing is because of emotion, strong emotion. Things that make us extremely happy and joyful, we cry over. Things that make us deeply sad, and we grieve, we cry over. Because they should be the things of our hearts. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem because it is a thing of his heart. He, he loves this city that God had, had made and ordained and, and placed his temple in and had dwelt in. And so he weeps for them because he loves them. Why is he coming into Jerusalem? Why, why is he coming in, into the city at all? Well, he's coming because God so loved the world, right? That He sent His only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem because of His love for us. He's coming into Jerusalem because the time has now come. The end is in sight. Sean will talk about that next week. But He's come into Jerusalem on this Palm Sunday, four days before Passover. Passover. Four days before Passover. That, the four days before Passover is the day that they brought in all of the sheep that would be slaughtered on Passover. Think about that. Je- Jesus is on a, a donkey riding into town. He's either riding in front of or He's coming after them or He may be even riding among them. The sheep that are coming to be slaughtered at Passover. He rides into Jerusalem with a tear-stained face as the sacrificial lamb laying down His life for us He who knew no sin becoming sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. The one who will come again to judge the quick and the dead is the one who weeps this morning over those He comes to judge and the judgment He has to pass. See, for those that that remain blind and ignorant and remained outside of Christ, the wrath that He experienced at the cross isn't your wrath. That's for the people that are in Christ. For for those that, that know Him, the wrath and the judgment of God has been paid for at Calvary. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, you haven't placed your faith in Him, then the judgment of God is coming. Soon and very soon. And He weeps out of His love for you he weeps out of his love for me that we might see that we might know that we might believe see the severity of God's judgment that is coming must be understood in light of his love in light of a love that leaves him weeping for you and for me Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come this morning. And we rejoice. We rejoice at the person and the work of Christ Jesus. We rejoice that You are a God who loves us, whose heart is moved. You are a God who weeps over us. And That even now that Christ intercedes, It's the weeping prophet. It's a loving Savior. Lord, may you work out in us a heart that weeps for the lost, that weeps for joy, the love you have for your people. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.